and welcome to the Gifted Life Podcast, where we have conversations about organ, tissue, and eye donation. I'm your host, Lori Steele, and joining me is Joey Boudreau. And Joey, we're getting good feedback, which I'm excited about. Yes, I mean, this is episode six. Yep, we hear this long. So some reviews in. I just want to read a couple. Uh, one says, great information. So we like that. And one says, learn so much. Yep. And that's what we're trying to do. Exactly what we Teach. Do. Educate so we can have those healthy conversations about organ, tissue, and eye donation. Now, we're on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, all that fun stuff. And we also want you to help spread the word about this podcast. Yep. We want you to spread the word. And we want you to like us, you know, on Facebook, Donate Life Louisiana. You can look at us on, follow us on Twitter and Instagram at the handle Donate Life LA. And we also, we want you to subscribe to our podcast and give us those ratings and tell us a little bit about what we can do better, what things are great. Ooh, somebody's confident over there. We're available on iTunes, Stitcher, Windows, Phone, Miro, Beyond Pod, TuneIn, and Pocket Cast. We learned some lingo and watch us go. That's it. I don't know. All right. Well, here on the show today, we are going to be in the news talking about what I understand is a big announcement. That's right. That I don't even know about. Joey's been holding holding this. He's smiling. And so um, I'm excited to learn as well. Can't wait. In our recovery segment, we're going to talk a little bit about the uh, organs, about which organs can be recovered. Mm-hmm. We like to dispel myths on every podcast. Today we tackle, can I have a traditional funeral? And in our community segment, we'll talk about how one hospital is making a big difference. Plus, you'll hear about how technology is playing a part in matching donors and recipients. And as usual, as we do in every podcast. Mm -hmm. We're going to honor a hero. Plus, we'll take your questions, we'll answer them, and much, much more here on the Gifted Life Podcast. It is time for news here on the Gifted Life Podcast, and I'm on pins and needles because Mr. Joey Boudreaux has been sitting on some information that he would not share. He said, uh, you know, in time, in time, be patient. Okay, the time is here. Are you going to come on? Here's your moment. Here what is it? Is. Okay. Laurie, I, I've been waiting to, to tell people because I've been kind of following the trends. Right. And, and uh, we have now reached 500,000 <sighs> organs transplanted in the United States wow. through the UNO system. Wow. That is huge. Wow. Half a million people. The word that was, is spreading. That was worth the wait. The word is spreading. The word's out there. Wow. Well, that, that is some good news, so you get a pass for keeping that information yep. from us. But spread the word. Let everybody know. Facts are, are so important, and we always talk about reaching people who wouldn't normally talk about organ donation and different things. And so who do we partner with? How do we reach those people? Well, Susanna knows. Susanna works for Lopa. She's one of our partners, and she is on the inside track when it comes to making life happen in the schools. Joining us now is Susanna Morton, and she is a community educator with the Louisiana Organ Procurement Agency, and she covers the Acadiana area. And one of the things, because she does many and has many talents, but one of the things that she does for LOPA is that she is the muscle behind our poster contest, which is just cool in itself. 
It is. It, it, the poster contest has been going on for, is it is it six years now, Susanna? We just concluded our sixth year. We have our winners from our sixth year, and we're actually getting ready to launch the seventh annual Donate Life Louisiana poster contest. That is, that is amazing it, to think about that it's been that long. It I feels know. to me, Susanna, like it's only been like one or two years. Like I can remember going back a couple years, and we vote and everything, and it's they're so talented, and the artwork is just incredibly beautiful. Oh, it really is. You know, we, um, it, it really has grown. You know, when we started this contest seven years ago, we just, it was kind of, I guess, experimental just to see what kind of, um, interest we had. So we did it just here, you know, in Acadiana to start with ninth through 12th grade. And now it's, you know, a statewide contest and has been now for the last several years for grade six through 12th. So we have middle and high school involved as well. So, you know, it's really, it's really fun to watch it grow and see the interest that we have uh, year to year. You know, we have teachers that actually email us or, you know, call us wanting to know when are y'all going to get the new information out, you know, looking forward to doing the contest every year. And let's talk about just the reason why we started it, why we continue to do it, because it's just another way, and we talk about that on the podcast, trying to reach out to different audiences, and this was just genius, but we teach about organ donation in these schools, in these art classes, and then what do these kids take from it? They put it on canvas or a poster. It's just incredible. It really is, you know, and and just what you said about nobody would ever think, oh, let's invite a LOPA community educator to come speak to our art class. You know, I mean, a lot of times we get into the biology classes and maybe the health classes, but this is a way for students that we might not touch in those classes to get involved and to put together a creative, a visual image of, you know, portraying the life-saving aspect of organ and tissue donation and, and of what we do. So um, it's really cool, like Joey said, every year to, to get this artwork in and see the different creative avenues of how these kids think, you know, and, and want to educate our communities. Susanna, and I'm, of course, being in the Lafayette office, I've been able to be one of the uh, fortunate enough to be one of the, the judges each year. It's tough. <laughs> it, it is tough. Look, I'm telling you, we go back and forth because they are, it is beautiful artwork that they do. And, and it's got such meaning behind it. You can see how much they're putting themselves into the artwork. It's it's so beautiful, so difficult for us. Can you talk a little bit about uh, this year and, and the winners that came out from this year's contest? Yeah, absolutely. Um, it, like you're saying, Joey, it is so difficult to kind of to really siphon through all of the, the artwork. And, you know, we do pick a top 12 because for people listening who don't know, we actually create a calendar that we distribute to the schools, to the offices of motor vehicles, and to other um, areas in our community. So for the artwork we picked this year, the top 12, we will have a calendar next year for 2016 showcasing the artwork from this year's contest. And so those top 12 have been chosen and they will be notified within, you know, pretty soon. And we'll let them know their artwork is going to be featured. We have several teachers every year who look forward to this contest. And, and one of those is uh, Tracy Campbell at Bolton High School um, in Alexandria. And, you know, she's kind of the model teacher um, for this um, contest. <laughs> yes. she. I mean, you know, she takes the information, she gives it to her students, and she actually educates them on organ and tissue donation. You know, she is actually very passionate about what we do just because it's something that she believes in. And so she uses this exactly the way we intended for it to be 
be used. And so her students are educated on donations. She encourages them to do research. You know, she, I get emails from her throughout the year if her students have questions and we're able to answer those. And so she always sends some incredible artwork in and, and her, she's had students place in the past, but this year was a little bit different in that first, second, and third place all came from Bolton High School. Wow. They were all her I students. I didn't realize that. Just goes to show. It, it was crazy how it happened, you know, and it, it, I mean, the votes were literally, I mean, first place was just out of the water. I mean, that was, it was a very obvious first. Second was pretty obvious. Third and fourth were kind of close. We had to, you know, really count those votes, but, um, but yeah, first, second, third off from Bolton High School. And that, that was from out of about 150 entries this oh. year. So, you know, it's just, it was really cool. I think because she is so passionate about what we do and making sure her students are educated and and really helping them artistically to articulate our message so well and and knowing that we're going to use these pieces in you know a calendar and in our community to better educate the people of Louisiana about organ and tissue donation. She does us such a great service you know she really gets it not only does she educate her students but it allows us to use that beautiful artwork and then help educate the rest of the state. Such a, a great thing that she's doing. I think it's also been great for, for our donor families and recipients throughout the state because a few years ago we started incorporating their stories in the calendar as well and quotes from them. And, and I find in our community and in our schools and the people who receive these calendars, they really look forward to them every year, you know, because they I are do. just... Yeah, yeah, well, they, right. They're just so packed. You know, not only do you have this incredible artwork portraying our message, but you also have these families and these faces to put with donation and, and these messages that are being conveyed, you know, in the calendar. So it's just, it is exciting. It's exciting for me to see how much the project's grown and to see, you know, like Joey said, the different staff getting involved in voting and Lori, even us as community educators, seeing it come to fruition, I guess it just, it, it really is a fun thing to watch. Yeah, I'm amazed how you take care of that every year and, and thank goodness for you. <laughs> um, but one of the things that um, we do is around the start of the school year is kind of when it, it kicks off and, and you can tell us a little bit more. But when I talk to the students, I say, this is resume building material because if you make the top 12, you get in this statewide publication that helps a nonprofit. How great does that look when you're going on scholarship interviews and those kinds of things? Um, right. So hopefully that spurs some movement as well. Um, but for those who are just listening and saying, hey, we want our school to get involved or, or my child to get involved, just some of the basic rules that you look for uh, when it comes to the poster contest? Sure. Um, you know, we are always looking for more schools to get involved and we usually do get a lot of questions. Um, and just before I do kind of go into that, just for those listening, we do post the rules and regulations. They will be on our website when the time comes. Typically, when we get ready to kick off the poster contest, um, like you said, it's the beginning of the school year, hopefully the 1st of September, we have all that stuff ready to go so it can be accessed by the schools, the teachers, and the students. But a couple of, of the, the things we really um, try to look for, the teacher has to submit a student, so we have to have a signature from a teacher. Now, the one thing is it doesn't have to be an art teacher. It could be a biology teacher who has an arts, you know, who mm -hmm. has an artistic student, right. you know, and they think, okay, you know, maybe we've been to give a presentation to their class or, you know, this student is just passionate and wants to do something for donation. They can, they can submit that artwork. The teacher has to submit the student. We do have to have parent signatures as well. We always look for, um, obviously originality. One thing, you know, we 
we don't want. And that's one thing I, I was asking Tracy from, from Bolton High School. You know, what do you tell your students when you, you know, ask them about when doing this contest? And she actually does it as a class project. So mm-hmm. this is actually required by her students. Wow. And so she says, you know, I tell them, look at the calendar and don't do anything like what's in the calendar. <laughs> <laughs> she says, come up with something that you haven't seen, that you don't see in this calendar. Yes. And so, you know, I thought that's that's a really good way of, of showing it because we want original artwork and different artwork every year. We also um, don't want anything that's been copyrighted, no characters or anything that's already out there. Again, it's 6th through 12th grade. Um, and, you know, there's just, there's there's a long list of, of rules and regulations. So that's why I say, you know, if, if, if there are students or teachers interested, um, hopefully we'll have those posted for next year very soon. Um, and if they have questions, info at lopa.org, and we can get those yep. to Susanna and answer them here, send you the information as well. But we are excited um, about the calendars that are going to be coming out, and, and maybe you're, you're wondering, how can I get calendars? So info at lopa.org as well. But you'll be posting these as well, uh, the, the artwork? Yes, the artwork is going to be posted on Facebook. I'm hoping to get that done by the end of the week. I've got to go get my, um, my really good digital prints done so that we can post those. They will go on our Facebook page probably first is where they're going to be announced. And then we, they will go to our website so that way people can access them, you know, through the summer and, and, and see them there as well and not have to scroll through a bunch of stuff on Facebook. So those people who don't know too, we do kind of have some incentives for these students because the first place gets an iPad, first place winner, second place uh, this year. I know, I think we're kind of changing the prizes up next year, but comparable to the prizes from this year. Um, we did an iPad for first place, a Kindle Fire HD for second place and a $100 Amazon gift card for third place. So I mean, for a high school student, you know, sophomore in high school, I know, come on. And so, um, and then Tracy, the teacher, she gets um, the winning teacher for first place gets a $250 gift card to anywhere of their well, choice. She deserves uh-huh. that. Yes, yes. Absolutely. So, you know, we do have incentives to get these yep. students and these ki- and uh, teachers involved. So, well, Joey I mean, and I are sitting here thinking, I mean, we got some great ideas going. <laughs> How can we get involved? You know, we, we got to find get my it. Art yeah. ready. Yeah. <laughs> well, we appreciate you. Thanks for your hard work. It's, it's always um, incredible. If you have any questions for um, Susanna about the poster contest or events happening in the Acadiana area, info at lopa.org. Thanks. Thank you, Sue. Thanks, guys. Love me some Susanna doing some great yeah. work, but it sounds like she pretty much said you and I can't enter. No. The con- yeah, some I good prizes, so. though. That's, that's good prizes. <laughs> and, I, and I have to just reiterate how impressive and talented these artists are and, and how much effort they put in. I've been a judge, like I said, for the 10 years or so. and It's the, a hard job. It is. The talent there across the board and the effort they put throughout the state is really amazing. I love it. And I love that the teacher pairs education about donation in her class as a class project, and then you get to see the finished product. So it's amazing. We want you to monitor Facebook and our website, uh, lopa.org, so that we can see all this artwork, this fancy artwork, unveiled. It 
It is now time for the recovery segment in the Gifted Life podcast. And today we want to touch on organs recovered. Um, I work out in the community and a lot of folks want to know about those life-saving organs that can be recovered to breathe life into someone else. Yep. So when we go through its heart, lungs, liver, kidneys, pancreas, small intestine. So one person we say has the power to save nine lives, but we recover those six organs. Mm-hmm. And then that spurs another conversation. Well, how does that happen? All right. And just so we can uh, clarify, you know, these organs are the life-saving organs, right. the whole organs. Skin is technically an organ, but uh, but that's considered a tissue, obviously. Mm-hmm. And we kind of touched on the tissues recovered before, skin, bones, and part for valves and things like that. And also we've touched on the eyes that are recovered for mm-hmm. transplant. But in, in this segment, we'll just talk about the organs that are transplanted for life-saving purposes, yes. which is, like you said, the, the heart, lungs, liver, kidneys, pancreas, and small intestine. Very good. And then, you know, one person can save nine lives. We have two kidneys, two lungs, and that liver can be split. So it's amazing what can happen, what we know works, not experimental. We have testimonies. Uh, We have folks who travel with us who tell their stories. Um, So we recover these organs. And then um, one of the uh, questions that comes up, especially in a health class, Joey, is so if we recover like a heart, for example, how long do you have to make life happen? And it's different for different organs. Yes, it is. And I get that question quite often. A heart and the heart and lungs actually only have around four hours. So we have to have... Everything timed out, which is what I've touched on, you know, in a previous episode, it takes a long time for our recovery to take place, for the whole process to take place, because we have to have everything lined Mm -hmm. up perfectly Mm -hmm. and timed perfectly from the donor side, the donor hospital, and the transplant side and the recipient side. Because once blood flow stops to these organs, the cells, the cell tissues in those organs start to die. Now we'll put them in like kind of like a preservation solution to prevent the cell cellular death or the cells from dying, mm-hmm. and it will also put that in in an, on ice. But still, there is some cellular death that occurs, some uh, organ damage that takes place. So uh, for for hearts and lungs, you're talking about four hours mm-hmm. from blood flow to blood flow, not four hours in an ice chest. It's four hours from the time the blood stops. Mm-hmm the time the blood starts in the recipient. So just hearing that, um, you would have to think about the communication that has to go on between all these teams, Right. teamwork. We've got um, roughly at that time five or six different channels of communication mm-hmm. going on at, at each, each minute basically in the OR. I mean, it's constant, one talking to another, talking to another. You know, because of that very thing. They've got to have everything timed out on their end because there can't be a mistake made. And thank goodness they're good at what they do. I mean, constant training, the cases that that come in, they're just... so good at what they do. Like we said, those those special talents, thank goodness for them. Um, and it's different times for different for different organs. So we hit on the heart, but there's yeah. other organs. And the liver has a little bit longer uh, that we can that we can, you know, transport. It's usually around six to twelve hours. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, there still has to be a lot of communication. They try to keep that time frame under six hours because, again, with each hour comes organ damage, so it has to be timed out just right. The kidneys and pancreas uh, and intestine generally have uh, roughly around 24 hours uh, from blood flow to blood flow. Now, now here in Louisiana and in most uh, organ recovery agencies, uh, there's a, a kidney preservation machine right. that, that 
that kind of mimics the body's blood flow into the kidneys. And we have a few of these, and we'll, we'll put the kidneys on a pump. It's called, we call them a pump, a kidney right. pump. And we'll put them on, and it uh, enables us to, to prolong that time, you know, beyond 24 hours in, in most cases. Up to, it's been up to 72 hours in, in some cases, but, but generally speaking, beyond 24 hours. So that's a really nice thing. There are other perfusion pumps for the other uh, organs that are that are making their way. Uh, they are still in the experimental phase at this point, but the lungs now have a perfusion pump, and the heart has you know what they call a, a heart in the box. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's it's hopefully they're going to do the same things. We're seeing some extended times with with those. You know, from four hours to to eight and twelve hours, which is huge. You know, when you're talking about transportation time, it, it extends it extends the geographic area. Uh, from from what would you know normally be maybe you know from from Louisiana extend out two or three mm-hmm. states and it allows enables us to be able to extend that you know out almost across the country you know and so that's a huge breakthrough it's still in the experimental phase mm-hmm. you know but it's it's something that we're really looking forward to here in Louisiana well I'm always amazed at what can be done today and then what will happen tomorrow because we never know if technology, right. with with all these developments that are happening, um, it, it's just an amazing um, process. So we appreciate you listening and obviously learning more about it. One of the other questions that I get since we're talking about organs is, is there one organ that's needed more than other organs? Like yeah. in, in Louisiana, for example. Well, of course, then we have the conversation about kidneys. Yeah. Well, you know, as a, from a, from a cultural standpoint, yes. we, we like to eat our gumbo I and do. our etouffee. And I can't cook it, but I can <laughs> eat it. <laughs> you know, and and it's great. But we have a lot of high blood pressure that comes, you know, from in our state is is, mm-hmm. is one of the unfortunately one of the bottom five in the country in high blood pressure. We've got a lot of diabetes uh, also. So that generally, if left untreated, will lead to kidney failure. And across the country, you see that, you know, there's a, a lot higher incidence of kidney failure than the other organs. There are, in fact, over 100,000 people waiting in the United States for, for a mm-hmm. kidney. So uh, it is by far the largest and the biggest need. And the wait time on these kidneys, on average, you're looking at, you know, roughly a two to five years for most people. Some are, are lucky enough to get it sooner. But then, you know, it depends on the blood type and it depends, uh, like I mentioned earlier in the, in the, with the matching, you know, the blood type and size mm-hmm. and, and antigens and certain things have to match up just right. right. So, so it kind of depends, but, but that's a, a certainly a lengthy time. You know, the need is there. We need everyone to spread the word. And we have some uh, fantastic volunteers and a lot of them are kidney recipients who yeah. have waited yeah. that time. And they said it's really not much of a life because a lot of them are tied to a machine for right. most of their lives. And some of them are, are parents. And uh, because they're tied to those dialysis machines, they can't provide for their families. They can't raise their children the way that they would want them to. It's just a, a difficult life. And so this was really a gift, a second chance for them to get out and it live. Is. It is. Fortunately, they can you know, extend two to five years, like I mentioned on average, because of the dialysis mm-hmm. machine. But at the same time, you can't go anywhere. You can't travel. You know, it's three times a week and sometimes more, you know, that they've got to be there for multiple hours at, at a mm-hmm. time. So it's it's a difficult three to five years. It's a difficult time waiting. So once they do have that second chance and they're able to, to receive that life-saving gift, it changes their life. Oh, and they're so appreciative 
and it's inspirational for someone like me to hear them tell their stories because um, if we're stuck in traffic, oh, that, that can ruin the rest of my right. day until you hear those stories and say, you know, we could have been in their shoes. Would I have been that strong and to be able to last, uh, you yeah. know, that long? So it's just incredible. But that's why it's so important for you to have these conversations. We're hoping that you're listening to this, uh, maybe in the car. Um, the kids are there. Let's talk about it. Why do we have a heart on our license? We want to help save lives. One person has the power to save up to nine lives, which is incredible. So it's amazing. It's an important decision. Make an educated decision. Talk about it. Spread the word about this podcast. Let's learn a little and live a lot. Okay, Joey, hold on to your hats. Are you ready? Let's bust some of those myths, right? We always like to squash the myths that are out there when it comes to donation and replace those with facts. Uh, We hope to spur those healthy conversations, and we want you to use those facts to have that healthy discussion. So today we are tackling a question that we get a lot about, especially at our end-of-life seminars, et cetera. I won't be able to have a traditional funeral service is what they think, Mm -hmm. right? And so we have to enlighten them that you absolutely can help save lives and still have a traditional funeral service. That's absolutely correct. I'll break it down just into the three different types of donations, but in each of them, you can have mm-hmm. an open casket viewing and have cremation if you need or if, if that's what you prefer. Right. For eye donation, they put in a small prosthetic implant that the funeral home attendant would have put in anyway, anyway. because because mm-hmm. your your eyes are made up of a lot of uh, water and aqueous solution or water-type solution, and they'll have to put those in regardless if donation took place or not. You know, in tissue, they do a lot of the same things. They'll put prosthetics. We've talked to Blake in our previous podcast, and they take a lot of pride in rebuilding with the prosthetics. That's one of the first things that they have to learn in their orientation when they're training for to become a tissue recovery mm-hmm. uh, staff member. And they'll, regardless if it's an upper extremity or a lower extremity recovery, they'll still be able to They'll put the, in the prosthetics, and you would never know mm-hmm. That someone, you may have even seen someone at a funeral, you know, you may have gone to a funeral, uh, a viewing, and not even known that. And same thing with an, with an organ recovery. Our organ recoveries are simply one midline incision. It looks kind of like a, a heart surgery. Mm-hmm. So in each of the three cases, there is no change to the viewing whatsoever. So that is a myth. And the only real difference is that the, the funeral may be delayed a day or so because, again, we have to try to find the best home for these organs and, and tissues mm-hmm. before we do the recovery. Mm-hmm. So that may delay that 24 hours, but that is really the only difference in the funeral home services that we'll see. And I've been affiliated with LOPA even before I, I work with them, volunteering with them, but I've never heard a single complaint from a donor family. Mm-hmm. And then Joey and I can sit here and we can tell you these facts all day and all night which we're not going to, I don't think, at this point. (laughs) But we want you to talk to those people who know a hero, someone who's been to a funeral. Because uh, one of our donor moms, uh, you know, we have these wonderful volunteers across the state who do so much for us. But when she's speaking, she says, he, my son, my hero, was just 
beautiful. They took the best care, and that was my boy there. And it gives me the chills talking about it. But go and talk to these donor family members, folks who know these heroes, people who have saved lives, and, um, you know, learn those facts. Talk about it. And if you have not signed up to be an organ donor, we sure hope that you're giving it a lot of thought now and that one day you do. Community partners making a difference. We love to talk about this. They come from all walks of life, and my goodness, the difference they make. Yes, they do. And so often we think of hospitals Mm -hmm. helping us strictly with organ donation, our tissue donation, Mm -hmm. eye donation. But there's so many, including Spring Hill Medical, that go above and beyond, not just helping during a donation process, but helping spread awareness, helping with the communities, and then they help in every aspect through helping support that donor family. So so this is one of those partners for us. Joining us now is Shalon Lachalet. She is a community educator with the Louisiana Organ Procurement Agency, one of my cohorts, and she covers 18 parishes in North Louisiana. And one of her standouts is Spring Hill Medical Center. So you know all about this, and we can't wait to hear more. How are you, Shalon? I'm doing great, Lori. How are you and Joey? Oh, we're good. It's fun, Shalon, to have that partnership that we've got with these hospitals, large or small. You know, a lot of times we think more of our our larger hospitals having to do more because there are more donors, but there's a lot of times it's the smaller hospitals that make such a big impact, not only on on having donors there at the hospital, but also being able to educate the community and help educate from a partnership standpoint. This is, we're talking about a a 58-bed hospital, and they serve basically the the very northern part of Louisiana and southern part of Arkansas, that kind of top northwest corner of the state there. And, uh, and they've done a lot over the last year, right, Shalon? They really have. I've been in Spring Hill almost four years now. And, um, you know, from the get-go, whenever I walked in and said, hey, I'm with Lopa, can we can we do some education? They uh, they really jumped right on board and said, okay, let's let's learn more and let's see what we can do to, to help you guys make life happen. What I like is that you live there, so you get to witness this each and every day. And one of the things that um, just comes through for me is you talking about this flag-raising ceremony because it was um, personal, it was uh, inspirational, and you just can't get enough of it. That's right. Their first flag-raising ceremony was um, in Donate Life Month of 2014, so just last year. And um, it was really the first flag-raising ceremony for a hospital of their size in Louisiana, which was something that they really took pride in being one of the first. We love, you know, helping our partners be a first. And then, you know, the hospital staff was part of the event. The staff chaplain was there to bless the flag. All of the staff was out there. We had two donor families from Spring Hill, Louisiana, that were out there to honor their heroes. We did a balloon release, and I think everybody was really astounded by that because it was somebody right here in their town that was affected by donation and that was walking among them every day. So we were joined by the city mayor and city council members and dignitaries. So it was a really wonderful event. And I think that that's really what has started the momentum for them. That momentum you talk about, it kind of sparked a wave of events and things that they've done for Donate Life. Can you tell us a little bit about what happened, what they've done for Donate Life America or Donate Life Month 
in April. For Donate Life America on that end, the CEO wrote a dedication on a rose vial for the Donate Life rose float that Donate Life America has every year in Pasadena for the rose parade. So that was a little piece of Spring Hill that was going to be on a national stage in Pasadena. And he was really um, very, very open to having Spring Hill represented there as as a supporter of donation. So that was one of the great things that um, we kicked off 2015 with. And then in April for Donate Life Month, I went to talk to them. I said, okay, I said, it's Donate Life Month. It's coming up. What are we going to do this year? What do y'all want to do this year? And they said, you know what? We heard about this Blue and Green Day. So I talked to them about what Blue and Green Day is and how, you know, we could do a thing with the staff where the staff did like a big blue and green picture. And they said, Shalon, you know what? I think this is what we're going to do. We're going to make T-shirts and we're going to sell them. And we're going to have, you know, the staff involved, but we can sell them to outside people. And we're going to have a fundraiser and donate those funds back to LOPA because, of course, they know LOPA is a nonprofit. And, you know, those funds help us do our community education and reach out within the community. So they took it on full fledged. And that day, that was April 17th this year. They had a big photo op and um, presented us with a check. And then we raised the Donate Life flag. And the other day I passed by and it's still flying. And we so, like that. That's awesome. yeah, and we're in <laughs> May now. So that's e- that's even better for me. They they love flying that flag and they take pride in it. And to have a, a hospital partner, any of our hospital partners, take that pride in being a part of such a wonderful gift. It's heartwarming and it's a leadership role for them. People look to them for advice, for guidance. That's what our hospitals are. And when they display that Donate Life flag, it tells the public, it tells everybody that comes to that hospital, we know about donation, we support donation, and it's a part of the natural process. Right. And it doesn't matter large or small how, how large the hospital is. They, the smaller hospitals can make that big an impact. All it takes is one person to really spread the word out. And they're doing uh, such a tremendous job, you know, spreading the word, letting everybody know that donation is a part of our hospital. That's right. And it really has trickled down. You know, there's there's been, I've had opportunities to be in parades up here where me and my children have decorated our, our car with Donate Life stuff and, and be I in the parades. Because they're normally on our, our Donate Life Facebook page. So you have to continue to monitor that and, and like that page if you haven't already. But that's how you get to see all of this really come to life. That's right. And so reaching out in those communities, that's what is our driving force, letting people know that donation can affect anybody and everybody and um, how important it is to register as a donor and talk to your family about it. Make sure you have that conversation. Well, good job to you, Shalon. Thanks for letting us know more about Spring Hill Medical Center and all the wonderful things that they are doing and will continue to do. And we will let everyone know about those events that are coming up, etc. You can go to donatelifela.org. We have a calendar there of events that are coming up across the the state. And of course, Jalon adds to that as well. So good job to you. Tell Spring Hill 
We love them. I certainly will. I'll pass that along. They're going to be excited to know that they were featured. So thank you all so much for thinking of us. Thank Thank you, you, Shalon. Thanks again to our partners at Spring Hill Medical Center and all of those hospitals that go above and beyond to help us create donor awareness. Yes, thank you so much. We certainly appreciate the help. And we want to say, hey, if you work at a hospital and maybe you want to do a little bit more and you want to incorporate some of what you heard here today, lopa.org slash hospitals, lopa.org slash hospitals, or send us some information and we'll get you what you need. Technology in donation. Oh my goodness, what technology has helped us accomplish? And I only know the system as we know it now, but Joey, you've been around when pagers and fax machines and the those, dial telephone, those right? Those are great. <laughs> oh, back in the day, the those good old great. days, right? Yeah. Um, but technology can pages. be your friend. Oh, yeah, you see? Infinite amount of wisdom here. Uh, but there is a system, a program that helps to make life happen. It's more efficient. And oh my goodness, it's just full speed ahead. It is. UNET is that system you're talking about. UNET is a, a secure internet database mm-hmm. that was created by UNOS and in previous podcast, I've talked about UNOS. UNOS is United Network for Organ Sharing, and they're the overseer of the list, you know, that wait list that we talk about. Right. And let me go back a couple years. Prior to UNET being created in 2006, uh, we kind of had to walk uphill both ways in the snow, you know. Oh. We, we had, like you said, those, those pagers and the fax machines. What we do is we'd make a phone call when we had a donor. We'd make a phone call to the next, you know, to the transplant center. Uh-huh. And make an offer. Let's say we knew that uh, the echo was good, the ultrasound was good on, on this donor's heart. We make the call and say, hey, look, we think this would be a good match for you. Now, they took time to evaluate. And then if they turned that heart down for whatever reason, then we'd have to make another call to the next transplant mm-hmm. center and so so on and so forth. And But we don't want to let that gift no, that, go by the wayside, right? We want to yeah, find and a and home. It's such a pr- valuable, precious gift. Right. There's a finite amount of time mm-hmm. you know we don't have forever mm-hmm. so uh so what UNOS has enabled us to do is they've created unit uh this database that i'm talking about right. this internet database and it allowed for all of the transplant centers to put all of the recipient information in there all of their data their labs and things like that and and all the key things that would enable us to be able to match Mm-hmm. make closer matches. So when we have a donor, we enter the donor's information and then it automatically creates this match through what we call the, the wait list, mm-hmm. you know, or the match run We is the, the terms we use. And we can then make three offers at a time. And and I know you're saying, okay, why, how can you make three offers? You're still talking about that one heart. Right. But what we'll do is make an offer, what we call a primary offer. Mm-hmm. And so for the transplant center that's got the recipient that's highest on the list, but then the next two will offer as a backup and say, hey, look, you're backup, but just in case, you know, there's something with, that, that goes on with the with the first transplant mm-hmm. center, you'll then become primary. So they'll start looking. And if there's any recipient issues or any type of, of matching issues that we didn't foresee and they turn the heart down, then the second and third transplant centers are already looking and it just cuts the time down so much so that we don't have the wasted mm-hmm. gift. You know, and the, we have a, more um, lives saved. a volunteer who said that of the three people called up for a possible transplant, he was number two. 
and then very quickly learned that he was number one. And he said um, from talking to those medical professionals, uh, it was a fever or something that they couldn't do that transplant. So that's why we don't want that gift to be wasted. And we want to make sure that it has a home. Yeah. One of the other things that allows us to do, I mentioned, you know, a lot about the on the transplant uh, recipient side, but from the donor side, you know, they need to be able to, to know that the gift that we're offering is suitable, is just right for their potential recipient. Mm-hmm. So we can upload all kind of things into this database, like chest x-rays, like the echoes, those ultrasounds of the heart, or like CAT scans and different things so that they can take a look themselves, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. so that those surgeons of the potential recipients are looking themselves and saying, okay, yes, this would be the perfect gift. This is the perfect heart for my recipient. Mm-hmm. And I'm just in awe of the people that I work with because this all goes on when we don't see. I'm out in the community. Right. So you guys really um, have your hands full trying to make these matches, get all this stuff done. And technology is just a helping hand that we use. It is. And this is one of the biggest technological advancements that we've had in organ donation in its history. You know, so it's it's huge. And of course, they're still making improvements. You know, we're still trying to, we're always looking to improve. That's good. We like that. Making life happen here in Louisiana. Now, if you have questions about what we talked about, info at lopa.org, or maybe something else you heard on the podcast, or something you were thinking, or something you may have heard or seen in a movie, um, info at lopa.org. We love to hear from you. And maybe um, you want to have us in your classroom during the summer. We do a lot of um, summer classes with those health programs or 4 H clubs or different kinds of things. But but you can visit our website, lopa.org, lopa.org slash speaker, and we'll get out to you. We're very flexible. We just want you to be armed with the facts. Okay, Joey, it's time that we honor a hero, and this really has become one of my favorite segments when it comes to the Gifted Life podcast. These are the people that we work so hard um, for, these donors, their donor families, the recipients. These are our families, really. But we are honoring today Miss Alexis Porta. And we know Alexis through her mom, Rhonda, who hangs out at LOPA quite a bit. She's very special to us, Uh, not only being a donor mom and a volunteer. She's been part of our advisory board where she helps guide a lot of our policies kind of from the perspective of the donor families. So she's a very special lady to us. And if you meet her, she's just very quiet, um, soft voice. But if you ask about her hero, Alexis, then you hear her Mm -hmm. come forward, let me tell you about my baby. And I just love that. And so she wouldn't want us concentrating on her. She wants us concentrating on her baby, Alexis. Alexis was a dancer, beautiful, beautiful girl. She liked to hang with her friends and her cousins, and they had this huge family. And if you're hanging with their family, you're part of the family, which is which is what I love. But at 16, and this was back in June of 2001, Alexis died of an aneurysm in the brain after a night out with her friends, and she became a hero. Her heart went to a 61-year-old married lady. Her liver went to a 13-year-old boy. Her right kidney saved the life of a 59-year-old married lady. Her left kidney saved the life of a 57-year-old man. And her pancreas went to a 35-year-old man. All these people had a second chance at life because of Alexis. So she is a true hero. And every year, Miss Rhonda and the family, they wear these bright pink shirts that have a little stick drawing of an angel. And they host what's called Alexis's Angel Sale. 
So all year, Joey, and I love this story because once a week they get together, they grow plants, they do crafts, they refurbish antiques, they have this huge day. It's always the Saturday after Easter. And it's called Alexis's Angel Sale. And all the proceeds benefit Donate Life Louisiana to help spread awareness about organ donation. But at this angel sale, before you go anywhere, you have to see the picture of Alexis because she has like a trifold board that you can tell only a mama did, right? And so it has Alexis's picture on there with a brown little ponytail and her sports gear. And, um, and then you have the stories about all the lives that she saved. And so for 12 years, they've been doing this. Folks come for the garage sale. A lot of people like plants. They like to get there early, but they don't leave without learning a little bit about Alexis and a little bit about organ donation. And so one of the last things that they see is one of the bumper stickers that that we have, and it says, don't take your organs to heaven. Heaven knows we need them here. Please learn the facts about organ donation so we can save more lives. And it's just an incredible story. And to be with this family, you are a part of this family. And we just love Alexis. We just love Miss Rhonda, and we love what they do and the entire family. So right now, at this point in the podcast, as we do in every podcast when it comes to our heroes, we want to pause, and we want to say thank you to Alexis Porta for the gift of life. We have reached a point in the Gifted Life podcast where you become part of the show. This is our question and answer segment. And remember, info at lopa.org, 24-7. You have a question. You saw something. You want to know more. That's where you get us, info at lopa.org. And we'd like to address those questions. One of the questions that came in to us, Joey, was, I want to register as a donor, but I don't want the heart on my driver's license. Can I do that? That's a great question, yeah. Lori. That's a great question. And most of the time, these these question and answer uh, segments are all about organ and clinical. Mm-hmm. But this is a community question. Oh. So we brought in the big guns. Big Kirsten, guns. Kirsten Heights. She's the director of public relations and community education for LOPA. Yes. And she spends a lot of time with the OMV heads, Office yes. of Motor Vehicles, the commissioner, constantly visiting because they want to help us make life happen. So, Kirsten, welcome. Hey, Lori and Joey. How are y'all doing? Good. Good. You know what we heard about you? What that did you, you hear? totally enjoy the Gifted Life podcast. It is my favorite podcast. Yes, we see you sharing it on Facebook and subscribing to it. And we appreciate that, Kirsten. And giving excellent ratings, five stars. (laughs) We like that. Uh, We brought you in because we want um, you to give us all the details that you know about this question that came in at info at lopa.org. Wanting to register as a donor, but not wanting that heart on the driver's license, which is something we hear a lot about. It is a great question and one that we hear in the community. Yes. We often hear about people being concerned about having the heart on their license because they're worried they won't get the medical treatment that someone else that doesn't have a heart would get. Mm -hmm. And we talked about that in our first podcast, how that's completely not true. The hospital is charged with saving your life first, and only after all life-saving efforts have been exhausted do they look for donation to become an option. Mm -hmm. But if you still don't feel comfortable with having the heart on the license, you can still register on our website at either lopa.org or DonateLifeLA.org. And the important thing is to let your family know what your wishes are. In either case, whether you have the heart on your license or you register online. But you can be a donor without having it on your license. Of course, most people do say yes at the Office of Motor Vehicles. I've even had people that have said they want the little heart on their license and don't realize what it's about. (laughs) They just like the heart. (laughs) 
And we like that. Like we'll, we'll take them, too. Uh, <laughs> but we also like to educate. And so when we're out in the community, Kirsten, a lot of people ask about the OMV, but a lot of them would prefer to go online, like you said, lopa.org or donatelifela.org, which won't put the heart on your license, but you'll be in the registry. Correct, Lori. And they'll still be in the registry. We'll still be able to access that information, but it won't show up on your license with the heart. If you do change your mind at any point, next time you go to the Office of Motor Vehicles, you can let them know that you want to add it. If you want to take it off, you can let them know you want to take it off, and you can still register online if you change your mind at any point. And we know that you're constantly with the administration there, the commissioner, Miss Gwynn, all of those supporters for donation. And we just want to say thank you to those yeah. Office of Motor Vehicle workers as well who asked that important question, who wear the the blue and green. During the blue and green day back in April, we talked about this, but one of the OMVs in the Acadiana area, a car accidentally drove through the OMV. So they sent us a picture of the blue and green in front of the crashed building. And they said, we are dedicated to helping you guys <laughs> save lives. That's the dedication That's right. we like to see. Uh, right? they, they are wonderful. Over 85% of the registry comes from the Office of Motor Vehicles. That is the place where most people say yes to donation. It's not the only place you can do it, but it is certainly the most popular place to do it. Right. And we really appreciate our partners at the Office of Motor Vehicles. And we thank you, Ms. Kirsten, for doing all that you do for LOPA. And we know that you and Joey work on a lot of projects together, big projects that help to push LOPA forward. And we just love that. Thank you all for having me. Thanks, Kirsten. Wow, what a power-packed show, Joe. Yes, it was. Yeah, we love it. We love our guests. Yep. I want to give a special thanks to Susanna, mm -hmm. Shalon, yep. and of course, Kirsten, who helped become part of our podcast, part of our little family. There you go. And then there's so many more people who help to bring content to the table for the podcast. We have um, Troy, who, do we even know what Troy does? Troy's Something just technical. A jack of all, yeah, yeah, he's a jack of all trades. <laughs> I'm kidding, Troy. Therese. We love you. Yes, there's a, a lot going on to make this podcast possible. So we want to thank all those people as well. And then, you know, Joey, we're in the summertime section. So a lot of kids are getting out of school and those kinds of things. We are really busy booking presentations. Yeah. Um, for AHEX, those allied health education programs, um, for 4-H clubs, even for the smaller kids. We go in and we make it fun for them when we talk about organ health. Um, if you get into the older kids, um, we talk more about donation. So we are really flexible and can adjust to what you have in that classroom. And then we can do a 30-minute presentation. We can do an hour presentation. We have hands-on activities. So really, if you are looking for a speaker, please call us up. Or if you know someone, maybe your kids involved in a program and they need folks to come in, we will do that. And we bring goodies and sometimes candy, Joey. I know like you're that. there, right? Yep. Be there, be square. All right. So lopa.org is your one-stop shop for information. But if you go to lopa.org slash speaker, you can put in your information and then a community educator where you live will contact you and talk about dates available, times, and that kind of thing. So we try to be as flexible as possible because we want you to have the information that you need to make life happen. So we love it. We come to the end of another podcast, which is incredible. We're growing. We hope that you help us spread the word about donation and about this podcast. Yep. We appreciate all of you for listening, and we'll talk to you next time here on the Gifted Life Podcast. Mm -hmm.